Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. With healthcare costs skyrocketing and anti-science sentiment spreading, the so-called medical freedom movement has exploded in America. Sales are soaring for unscientific cures for everything from minor aches to terminal illness. But who decides what medicine is and isn't? And should the government prevent you from releasing a spray that turns people into zombies? Matthew Hangold's Hetling joins us to answer these questions and more as discussed in his new book, If It Sounds Like a Quack. That's next on Detroit Today, but first the news from NPR. Detroit Today is supported by the Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History. Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Nick Austin filling in for Stephen Henderson. What if I told you I had a cure for everything that ails you? Those achy joints, I got you covered. Have you noticed a few extra pounds around the midsection? Or is your hair not quite as full as you remember? Got that taken care of. Memory not quite working like you remember also? I got a solution. Or even an unfortunate terminal diagnosis that for you or a loved one, doctors have diagnosed as fatal. What if someone told you there might be a solution? Healthcare costs are skyrocketing in the U.S., the worst globally by some measures. And in a country where healthcare is so very fragmented, with some Americans having little to no coverage, the structure of our healthcare system has made it harder for many to receive care. But what is the solution to this issue? While much of medicine can focus on treating the symptoms of a problem, for example, reducing pain when you have a headache or lowering your body temperature when you have the flu, the idea of a cure can be very tantalizing. Treat the underlying problem, not the symptoms. If you eliminate the headache or the flu in the first place, the symptoms, those pains, those chills that were giving you discomfort, they'll take care of themselves. But to accomplish this breakthrough in medicine, normally we rely on our institutions. But if you haven't noticed, our country is having a big crisis of trust right now. Whether it's Congress, newspapers, the Supreme Court, or banks, no more than 30% of Americans believe strongly in these institutions as of 2022. That is, Americans don't really trust these places, and the medical system is only a slight exception. Only 38% of Americans strongly believe in it which is down six points from 2021. So what happens when skyrocketing healthcare costs combine with the lack of trust in our institutions? Journalist Matthew Hangold's Hetling has been thinking a lot about this issue. His new book, If It Sounds Like a Quack, dives uh, into how some have responded to this tension, resulting in a rise for what some would call French or non-traditional forms of medicine. Why has it been growing? Where is the distrust in our medical system coming from? Are there any benefits to alternatives to non-traditional medicine? And what can we do to instill trust back in medicines that are proven to help people? Even more broadly, what is causing the crisis of trust among so many of the American public? To help us answer these questions and more, I'm joined by Matthew Hangold's Hetling, 
author of the new book, If It Sounds Like a Quack, A Journey to the Fringes of American Medicine. Matt, welcome back to Detroit today. Thank you so much, Nick. Uh, looking really, uh, really looking forward to our discussion. That's great. I'm really looking forward to not having you say your full name anymore. So I'm glad <laughs> we got that out of the way up front. But Matt, uh, let's let's start from the top with what the people want to know about. I recently saw an ad for a supplement that told me it would help me lose weight, increase my brain function, brain function. See, I need that help right now. Make me more attractive to the opposite sex. Cause my mom to love me again, which is a big problem. And then I read your book, and now I'm a little concerned it might not do all of those things. So please uh, let me know before I give these folks my credit card info. Why don't you want me to be happy, Matt? <laughs> yeah, that, that's uh, that's what I'm known for, my uh, <laughs> staunch opposition to happiness. Right. Um, yeah, yeah, no. Um, this is uh, a, a really you, – you've hit exactly the correct framing for it. Um, we hear messages – um, uh, I call them in my book, uh, one true purists, the folks who are behind these sorts of pitches, uh, they come up with a product or a, uh, discovery that they think will revolutionize healthcare. Uh, and they are so kind of driven by that belief, uh, that they become themselves seduced by the idea of medical freedom, uh, because that will allow them to get those ideas out there unimpeded by government officials who are, uh, concerned about public safety, um, and the medical freedom uh, lobbyists who courted these folks uh, successfully, uh, they are um, delighted to have this kind of like grassroots uh, support and uh, the, the folks in the fringes of the alternative healing community go out there to uh, do their bidding for them. Uh, and so it's this really powerful dynamic that's emerged over just the last 20 years or so uh, in American history. And the end result is that these sorts of messages uh, that, that you described are bombarding just, I mean, all all Americans for sure. Like, like we've all seen the ads that you described. We all want our mothers to love us more. <laughs> right. Uh, but, but uh, you know, the... Uh, the the, beyond those ones that you might be very familiar with, uh, there are some pitches that are you know, far more broad in their health claims and, and consequently far more dangerous. Um, you know, uh, if your mom doesn't love you more, presumably you're not going to uh, hasten yourself into an early grave for that lack of love and support in your life. Um, but if you are taking a miracle product to treat your you know, cancer or, or uh, degenerative disease, uh, then that is a whole new ballpark of bad. Yeah. And, and so let's take a look at this from the beginning, right? Because I was really struck when reading your book, how you go through these steps with all of these people who seemingly get into this with uh, some high minded ideals. And I have some thoughts about that that we'll get into a little bit later. But let's just take a look from the beginning. Is this a group of people, as you talk about this medical freedom movement, that are trying to fill a void that exists for people right now? Or are these folks who are trying to take advantage of a situation? What did you find in looking into these stories of folks who are, again, trying to look at this medical freedom movement, as you phrased it? I think most of the, the people that I spoke to, um, they were 
they, they started out at some point in their lives, and I really go pretty far into their life histories to, to try to understand them a little bit better as human beings uh, uh, who have come to this, this place of uh, extremism. Um, and I found that most of them started off acting in more or less good faith. You know, you you think you have this this cure in your hands. Uh, you, you think you've got this thing that's going to change the world. Who wouldn't like to believe that about themselves? Um, and so, you know, you, you had a, uh, a Midwestern retired dentist who uh, thought that he could uh, cure all diseases with handheld lasers um, and that those lasers were harnessing a, a universal healing light, uh, what was his term, and that that light that he was harnessing with his handheld lasers could roll back the clock for all of us uh, against all manners of ills and, and uh, aging processes. Uh, you, you had a, another uh, gentleman who thought that the problem was acidity in the body and that if you could just lower the body's acidity, uh, things like cancer would go away, that they would just kind of uh, dry up and disappear. And so if you've been seduced by that message, you know, even if you've seduced yourself with that message, uh, it, it's not very hard to see how you can get to a place where you're so desperate to get that message out there uh, that you will uh, increasingly tell yourself that the ends justify the means uh, and, and you'll uh, work very hard to uh, subvert whatever obstacles are in your way. Yeah. Well, Matt, it, you, you bring really good points there. Um, and, and I want to get into some of these personal stories that you told in the book because they're super interesting. But just to make sure that everybody understands where we're coming from here, you mentioned again at the start of the book how for a while in medicine, right, we were just kind of spitballing. We were figuring out, oh, this is the trends that we think work. <laughs> and then at some point we finally decide, hey, maybe we should be looking at database uh, results. You know, is this working? Is it not the scientific method? And all of a sudden healthcare outcomes explode. But how have we moved back from that point in time where most folks were looking at the scientific method to now you have a lot of people skeptical of that method? Yeah, historically, um, we look back to, I, I think it's uh, 1910 or 1912 uh, was when we hit what they called the Great Divide in medicine. And that was the threshold beyond which the average person going to the average uh, university-trained medical doctor would see a benefit. Uh, and in the last 110 years, medical science has just gotten better and better. Uh, like you said, they, they've looked at the data, uh, they, they've um, you know applied the scientific method in, in ways that are you know sometimes flawed, but generally trending in a good way. And they are largely uh, responsible for the dramatic increase in um, human life expectancy uh, that, that we've enjoyed o over the last uh, uh, century. Uh, but roughly 20 years ago, um, it, 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 and it's, you know, debatable when you can say the modern medical freedom movement started, uh, but I argue uh, that it began about 20 years ago uh, when uh, the uh, groups like the Health Keepers Alliance, which is a libertarian lobbying group, uh, went out and began to actively court people in the alternative medicine community. And that was a really weird, weird uh, idea at the time, 
because we associated alternative medicine at that time with, you know, healing crystals and, you know, kind of like the, the hippy dippy left. Right. And uh, we, we were not picturing anything that would align itself with an extreme right wing ideology like libertarianism. Uh, but their message to these fringe healers was very, uh, again, seductive. Uh, they, they said, hey, uh, you don't have to defend the, the crappy science behind your ideas anymore. That's not the, the correct framing of the debate over whether you should be able to make money with your products. Uh, the correct framing for the debate is medical freedom. Uh, it's about the right of the American consumer to choose the healthcare that they want. Uh, and that message really resonated uh, with, with these people who were existing at the fringe. And it, it set off a series of um, uh, consequences uh, that resulted in the erection of an infrastructure uh, that allowed for mass uh, widespread sales uh, and created a real profit motive that allowed a lot of these less savory folks to gain traction within the market. All right. Well, Matt, then we should have the numbers in now if it's been about 20 years since then. How are things getting? Health outcomes better or worse? <laughs> and uh, how, what do the numbers look like in terms of medical fruit, uh, uh, freedom as well? What, if, what did you find out in your reporting? Yeah, well, um, you know, there's a, a really um, frightening landmark study that shows that um, that they looked at uh, the uh, outcomes for cancer patients uh, nationally, and they compared folks who had chosen um, conventional medicine, you know, radiation, chemo, th those sorts of things, uh, versus alternative medicine of any form. And what they found was really, really frightening. Um, people who... Uh, depending on the type of cancer that you had, people who went the alternative route were between two and five times as likely to die within five years as those who had gone the conventional medicine route. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, life expectancy in the United States is uh, going down for the first time. That is the result of, of many, many factors. Um, and I would argue that the fact that 100 million Americans uh, have turned a deaf ear to the medical establishment uh, by you know, opting out of any conventional treatment over the last 12 months, not so much as a checkup, um, that that is a contributing factor. Mm -hmm. We're talking to Matthew Hongolds-Hetling, an international journalist who recently wrote the book, If It Sounds Like a Quack, A Journey to the Fringe of American Medicine. But we also want to talk to you. Do you trust the medical establishment like doctors and people who work at hospitals? If not, let us know why. And are you more likely to turn to alternatives uh, to traditional medicines for help than go to the conventional route? What led you down that road? Alternatively, do you work as a doctor, a nurse, or a physician? Are you someone in the healthcare industry who's noticed people trusting you less? Have you encountered this kind of uh, skeptical thinking of what you do? Tell us your stories. What are you seeing out there in the medical profession or as someone who is looking 
into getting alternative means of medical care. 313-577-1019. We can include you in the conversation that way. Again, it's 313-577-1019. Matt, uh, as we get into the stories from people who will be calling in, I'm intrigued because, again, there are so many stories, and I think you do a pretty good job in the book of humanizing these characters so that we can kind of understand a little bit about how they got to the point that they're at. I suspect there are some that aren't in the book as well. What are some, tell me one of the most interesting stories that you think people need to know about that you had from the book. I'm not going to select it. I'm going to let you select it, Matt. <laughs> oh, geez. Um, yeah, I'll, uh, I'm going to go a little bit off script uh, because there's a, a person whose story is told only very briefly in the book, uh, but is a uh, Michigan native. Yeah, I love uh, that. Uh, Grand, Grand Rapids. Uh, uh, his name, his first name was Herb. His last name was Avor. Uh, that that was a legal name change that he did to herbivore uh, to uh, right. mark his um, <laughs> his uh, vegan uh, activism, um, but Herb had this dream uh, of developing an all natural herbal based uh, version of Viagra, uh, and to to help uh, men with erectile dysfunction issues, and. He, um, you know, kind of like searched high and low for, for the right uh, a combination of all natural ingredients that could produce this, this miracle pill. Um, and he wound up uh, coming out and marketing a product, get it, got it on the shelves, sold millions of them. And then um, it turned out that what he had actually put in the pill was a uh, synthetic chemical analog of the active ingredient in Viagra. Uh, and so people who were buying his product were buying a pharmaceutical prescription, basically, yeah. without any of the safeguards uh, that are in place to protect them from, uh, uh, you know, th those sorts of chemicals. You know, if, if you buy a... Uh, uh, an herbal supplement, it's not supposed to create the sorts of effects that Viagra does. Uh, and as a result, you know, um, uh, at least uh, one person who took his supplements, his um, his all-natural Viagra, died. Um, and so uh, that is just kind of a good illustration of the difference between uh, an industry that is well regulated, uh, by by which I mean, you know, uh, conventional medicine and, and the pharmaceutical pharmaceutical industry. As much as I, I hate to to give them an attaboy, um, and yeah. a totally unregulated industry, uh, which you know is a pretty good descriptor of where uh, supplements are today. Vitamins and supplements, mm -hmm. like we we weakened our national regulations against them. Uh, as a result. It became easier to sell them. And as a result, guess what? More bad actors popped up to sell things that were made as cheaply as possible and that didn't have the ingredients that were listed on the bottle. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's really interesting that you mentioned that as there is a little bit more of a lack of trust in the medical establishment. And when we return here on Detroit Today, we're going to take a look at why there might be this lack of trust in the medical establishment as well as the world of alternative medicine. Speaking with Matthew Hongold's Hetling, author of the new book, If It Sounds Like a Quack, and we'll talk to you as we continue on Detroit Today in just a moment. 
WDET is your connection to what's happening in Detroit. WDET is your place for open dialogue about the issues that impact you. Stay in the know. This is WDET FM, Detroit's NPR station. Detroit Today on 1019 WDET, where I'm Nick Austin, filling in for Stephen Henderson, really having a fascinating conversation right now with Matt Hongoltz-Hetling, the author of the new book, If It Sounds Like a Quack, A Journey to the Fringe of American Medicine. And Matt, we've got some really good calls coming in right now, and I would like to get to some of these. So we're going to start with June in Gross Point. June, go ahead. You're on Detroit Today. I think you're talking to me from Gross Point. I am. Um, the name is Jan. Thanks, that's Jan. Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> okay, so I am a physician. I am a radiologist, so I really don't see the, the patient so much, but I see the uh, X-rays, CTs, etc. And I am wondering if uh, Mr. Matt has any opinion on the growth and the development and growth and promotion of the chiropractic industry. Um, I do not see that they have done much good for people, and uh, people keep going to chiropractors over and over again, but they say they still haven't helped me. Uh, so has have you covered any of that in your book? Yeah, you know, this is a really interesting question. I even remember in high school playing football, basketball, back acting up on me, thought about chiropractic. I also remember in my trade as a trial attorney, the amount of cases I would have where people wanted uh, payment for their chiropractic bills and trying to get in the efficacy of those or not. Matt, what did you run into in terms of your reporting on chiropractic? It seems to be a little bit closer towards the edge of what we would see and what we would consider to be or, or understand to be, you know, on the on the good side of medicine. What did you see? Yeah, uh, Jan, thanks so much for the question. Um, yeah, uh, chiropractic is really in an interesting place in, in the medical field because it's gained, you know, very widespread uh, acceptance. Uh, it is um, regulated uh, by state and uh, federal law in most places. Uh, and um, it's yet yeah, it doesn't really have a lot of the scientific backing, uh, the, the the body of scientific evidence uh, that would support treatments and uh, yeah that would support yeah more invasive treatments or what have you. And there are some small risks associated with chiropractic, like specifically manipulation of um, the the neck uh, has at times resulted in some. Uh, really horrific consequences, uh, and, and that's yeah a very small percentage uh, of cases. Um, but it shows that there is a potential downside, even if um, you know the upside is not medically defensible. You know, a lot of people just like uh, the feeling of having all their joints cracked and and all of this. Like it uh, sometimes can alleviate pain. Uh, folks say, uh, and sometimes it doesn't. Uh, I, in my book, focus a lot more on the folks who are more clearly uh, kind of bad actors within the field. Um, you know, I think chiropractic kind of strikes an interesting balance where if you're um, coming from a, a scientific perspective, 
uh, you find a lot of uh, uh, flaws with, with the thinking that goes into chiropractic. Um, if you're coming from the alternative medicine side, uh, you know, you might accuse the chiropractors of being co-opted by the establishment, uh, that they're they're kind of kowtowing to to the institution. And to me, you know, that that is almost a um, a sign that maybe this is the sort of middle ground uh, that these two oppositional schools of thought can uh, can come to. Um, you know, there are uh, the, the the medical freedom lobbyists don't want to follow a chiropractic model. Uh, they want complete and unfettered freedom. They, they don't want to be regulated by even, you know, boards of peers within that profession, whether you agree that there's scientific uh, backing for that profession or not. Uh, you know, what they want is basically let the market decide. Um, and uh, I find that to be a more insidious form that they're they're advocating for, and, and it comes with uh, problems that that I think are much more severe than we see with chiropractic. Jan, I really appreciate the call again here on Detroit today, and uh, it is interesting point. I do I do note as you mentioned, Matt. You know, your book goes into some stuff that seems to be a little bit more clearly defined outside the edge, including the uh, and we're going to get into the efficacy of a zombie spray. But 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 <laughs> but the point still remains that a lot of what this is is trying to find the line on what would be considered medically acceptable versus not, and a lot of people feel like that's in a different spot. But I want to make sure to get. Robert in Detroit next in on this conversation. Robert, go ahead. You're on Detroit today. Hey, hi. I'm also Dr. Bob. They know me as. And Dr. Bob, was go on. Yeah, hi. I was a chiropractor. I, I let my license go. I call myself born unwinder. I, yeah, I think, I Robert, at, then I don't think you can call yourself Dr. Bob anymore if you let that license go. So go ahead, Bob, in Detroit. <laughs> well, I don't know. Doctor means teacher. Okay. So. But I do know one thing and simple things that I, and that is, Nature is the perfect science. You know, that if we stop polluting the oceans and rivers, they would cleanse and heal themselves. Mm. And it's the same with our bodies. Not only cleanse ourselves nutritionally, but, you know, people have anger. I mean, I can't tell you the stories I hear of some of the horrible childhood stories. You know, so we need, I look at people as a universe rather than their headache, asthma, and allergies. And if people come into me with symptoms, I tell them, nothing's wrong with you. You're just out of balance with your world and that life is speaking to you. Do you need to leave that job? Mm. Do you need to look at your diet? Mm. Do you need to, you know, whatever it is that's not in balance that to find who you are and to align with, with yourself and your higher power. You know, Bob, so, I think that's good life advice, but are you saying that would also be the cure to, for example, cancer? Well, when somebody is so bad, yes, I, you know, I don't, I don't think doctors are bad people or hospitals are, are bad places. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's many chiropractors I wouldn't go to. Yeah. But, you know, if it gets so bad, yeah, we, we may need medical intervention or instead of a $500,000 treatment, give them $20,000, send them to Hawaii for a month and let them recuperate, mm. you know, let them slow down and breathe and and analyze their life. You right, know? So, I, well, mean, I think some of these statistics that we're hearing, you know, it's 
<laughs> sure, sure. Hey, Bob, I, I don't mean to I cut you off so much, but I got full lines here, so we want to make sure to get some other folks on. But I do appreciate you listening and joining the show. As we're going to wrap up the chiropractic block one more time, we're going to go to Dr. Morgan in St. Clair County. Dr. Morgan, go ahead. You're on Detroit today. Yeah, can you hear me? I can. Go ahead. All right, yeah. So we just uh, heard uh, your guest say that there were some issues with um, – the science behind chiropractic and some dire outcomes. I wanted to address the one specific thing he talked about, and, and he's implying with the stroke is dire outcomes. That is not the case. There's been studies that's been done uh, since 2000 and repeated several times that the chiropractic adjustment, no matter how much force, cannot create mechanical failure of the vertebral artery. So it's impossible for us to put enough force into the neck to do it. In addition to that, out of all the cases that I've seen, MRIs, why would the artery be the only thing that's damaged if there's a force from outside of the body that's pretty deep? All, All right. the tissue that surrounds yeah. it, why is there no damage to those tissues? All right, I'll go ahead. Matt, do you have a response to that? Yeah, hot, hot, hot mic, hot mic. Uh, yeah, no, um, I, I really appreciate this sort of discussion. Um, and uh, the caller is correct in that you can find a study that says that these sorts of things uh, uh, do not happen, but if you look to the, uh, the, the body of scientific literature um, and the consensus among uh, folks who have uh, the, the skills uh, to delve into uh, all of the, the research and, and balance it out, uh, their consensus is that in very rare cases uh, that this is a, a potential downside. Um, and, you know, it's not... Uh, I'm not bashing uh, the, the idea of chiropractic. Right. Um, I, I have family members uh, who feel better uh, but because they have gone uh, for, for certain types of manipulations. Um, but uh, the fact is that uh, there's not a body of medical science that supports some of the claims uh, that some practitioners make. Um, yeah. Evidence that, that shows that there is a potential uh, serious downside. Excellent. And Dr. Morgan in St. Clair County, I appreciate you calling in, uh, making your voice heard and sharing that perspective. As we continue with this conversation, Matt, one of the things I was thinking about in hearing that back and forth in our little chiropractic block there is, is some of what you get into. And again, a lot of the stuff that you touch on is a lot more on the fringe. It's this idea, as you coined in the book, of the one true cure. It's like if you take this supplement or this medicine or do this activity, it's going to cure everything that you, but the the issue here is that uh, figuring out uh, how effective a treatment like that is, right? You know, somebody can get better mm -hmm. and they'll assign it to that versus not. And you know, for example, with chiropractic, you know, if you're feeling a little bad, maybe you go in. But I don't think a chiropractor would ever say this is going to cure your terminal illness. Versus a lot of the things that you look at are people who are making these wild claims. Uh, where are they coming from? How do they get to the point where they decide, you know what, I have the one true cure? Yeah, it's um, they come to it by a variety of paths. You know, I, I spoke to, um, you know, so some of them, it's an outgrowth of their spiritual beliefs and their faith. Um, I, I talked to some uh, faith healers who uh, believe that they could just, you know, simply pray away a family member's um, juvenile diabetes that that had a very tragic outcome. Uh, you had um, a gentleman who was kind of in the 
the the health uh, healthy eating field, kind of like a a diet advice guy, um, and he uh, believed that uh, to reduce the body's alkal uh, acidity. You had to make the internal environment more basic, uh, and he would sometimes do this by charging people five thousand dollars a day to come stay at his Miracle Ranch, uh, and in, where he would inject them with uh, baking soda solution. Oh my! Uh, and uh, that just uh, you know it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And uh, he will talk to you all day about the science backing uh, his claims, but. What you had uh, is a lot of people who entered his ranch with cancer and who left his ranch with cancer. And in some cases, uh, the the time period between entering and leaving the ranch allowed that cancer to progress very significantly. Um, and you know, and I, I also wanted to to go back to uh, uh, Bob. Yeah. Uh, 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 possible Dr. Bob for, <laughs> right. for a moment. Um, you know, uh, the, the idea, you, know, you, you can say something that just sounds good, like, you know, uh, uh, we need to be in balance with our environment or, you know, that there are emotional connections to, to diseases. Uh, and all of that sounds good. And there is a grain of truth to it. And, and uh, it's an appealing framing in some ways. But, you know, also nature is actually you know, uh, millions of different species of organisms trying to kill each other. That's true. You know, uh, so, so, so like, uh, there's no, um, uh, there's no, I, I think the threshold that you have to employ when you look at some of these claims and some of these framings is that um, can, uh, can this be proven in the scientific realm? You know, science isn't a perfect tool, but it's the best tool that we have. And if we look at the science and the studies that that uh, examine these claims, uh, do they bear out? Uh, and if so, um, you know, does it achieve a, a beneficial threshold? Right that allows it to become incorporated into best evidence-based practices. That's that's where all of our uh, life expectancy extensions have come from over the past century or so. Yeah, Matt, I, um, I'm hearing you, man. You, you got to you create the test. Is it measurable? Is it falsifiable? Is it repeatable? You know, we, we've gone through the yes. process of trying to figure out, do things work or not? Or are we associating stuff with things that might not necessarily be linked to the outcome we receive? Before we get to the next break, though, I do want to bring in Abigail in Plymouth. Abigail, go ahead. You're on Detroit today. Oh, thanks so much for taking my call. I love this show. Um, I just wanted to say I kind of come at this from a little bit of both sides. I come from a family that's pretty anti-medical. Um, several members of my family aren't vaccinated, uh, you know, essential oils and all that good stuff. And I am a nurse practitioner, um, so obviously a big fan of the of science and medicine. But um, I definitely think we need to acknowledge in medicine that we have a communication problem that ostracizes a lot of people um, mm. and, and that causes a lot of people to turn away from medicine. Um, and then the other point I want to make is ish all of the interventions that we made in medicine as practitioners, as providers, 
were scientifically based, but unfortunately not, that's not always the case. A lot of times we're not as up-to-date as we should should be with, you know, the most up-to-date guidelines in scientific research. Um, a great example of that is, since you were talking about chiropractic, uh, neurosurgeons and back surgeries have absolutely horrible outcomes. It's about a 50-50% chance that you're going to have improvement after back surgery in certain, you know, circumstances. So there, there are plenty of cases that you could say people in medicine are not doing what is scientifically based medicine either. Yeah, Abigail, I got to say, I've run into that issue with back surgeries also, but uh, that might be a story for another time. Uh, I really appreciate you calling in with that. And I leave her points to you, Matt. What response do you have to Abigail in Plymouth? Yeah, no, I, I, I love the energy and I love the perspective that, that Abigail's bringing. Um, because, you know, as I argue in the book, uh, part of the reason that um, bad faith fringe medical practitioners are able to have success in turning the public against uh, their, their local doctor uh, is because the medical establishment is flawed. Uh, there's a, a grain of truth um, and sometimes a, a larger kernel of truth to uh, some of the claims. You know, the medical field, uh, there's a lag, right? Uh, if, you're, if you're back today, um, you don't want to uh, uh, buy into a medical practice that was developed 20 years ago if there's something that was developed three years ago that that is more efficient or, or effective. Um, if uh, we, we all know that uh, multi-billion uh, dollar corporations uh, in the pharmaceutical industry, they spend a lot of money in an effort to uh, for the process uh, to, to influence the outcome. Um, the, and as Abigail said, uh, there is a real culture of, um, I don't know, I'm not, now I'm putting words in her mouth, but there, there's a culture problem. Uh, doctors are uh, kind of deified uh, in our culture and that creates a real ace between them and the people that they treat and that space is very off-putting uh, yeah. to, to uh, a lot of members of the public. And all of those things breed a climate uh, and create a vacuum uh, of service that invites uh, some of the bad actors to come in and peddle you know, what, what amounts to nonsense. Again, Abigail, really appreciate your call out there in Plymouth, and we want to hear from you as well. 313-577-1019. I've got an open line for you. We're going to continue our conversation with Matthew Hongold's Hetling and hear your calls, and maybe finally I'll get a chance to ask him about the zombie spray. That's going to happen when we return here on Detroit Today, 1019 WDET. Again, give us a call as we speak with the author of the new book, a very interesting read, if it sounds like a quack a journey to the fringe of American medicine.
It's Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Nick Austin with uh, filling in for Stephen Henderson, talking to Matthew Hongold's Hetling, the author of the new book, If It Sounds Like a Quack, A Journey to the Fringe of American Medicine, talking about why there's such a rise in people uh, requesting, seeking, and finding alternative cures. And we're going to listen to you as well as we move now to Ken in Waterford. Ken, go ahead. You're on Detroit Today. Uh, hi, thank you. Hey, Matthew, I have a question. During your research, did you find any alternative medicines that actually turned out to proven to be effective and has since become part of the medical treatment modality? That's very interesting. A lot of the stuff I saw was on the fringe, but uh, Matt, you did the research or you, you looked into this story. Uh, what did you find? That That's a great question, Ken. Um, and the answer is yes, um, but that question really kind of like shines a light on this kind of fundamental disconnect between uh, the one true curists uh, and conventional medicine. Um, you know, over the last hundred years, what medical science has shown is that uh, there are discrete causes for discrete conditions, right? You know, that, that what causes, you know, leprosy is different than what causes, um, you know, uh, amnesia. Uh, but the one true cure crowd uh, doesn't find that. They find that there's one simple, um, you know, uh, cause for all disease and that there is, uh, uh, you know, therefore one true cure for all disease. Um, and uh, uh, so what that led to is that some of these treatments um, that the one true cure people advocate are adopted in some way, shape, or form by the medical establishment, but for a very limited scope. Uh, so I talked about um, the, the Midwestern dentist who sold um, handheld lasers to cure everything. Uh, medical science has, a you know, the FDA has approved as a medical device, a handheld light-emitting uh, light laser that can uh, treat certain types of arthritic pain in a very localized area. Uh, I, I think it's the wrist. Um, and uh, that is, you know, an example of something that's shown a little bit of promise. It, it's made the case uh, that uh, is defensible in scientific circles and so gets adopted. But uh, the, the one true curist doesn't you know, they'll appreciate that study, but they, what they really want is a wholesale endorsement of this kind of revolutionary paradigm. Um, and so, you know, if you're somebody who has questions, uh, maybe uh, uh, questions about a specific scientific procedure, that's legit. If you are uh, buying into the idea that there is this huge revolution coming in medical uh, care just around the corner and you can get in on it now and throw out everything else that doctors say, that is not legit. Uh, another good example of, of an alternative remedy that's made its way into conventional science is, believe it or not, leeches. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, uh, most people don't know that hospitals, uh, many hospitals have a leech tank in the basement uh, and they do this because leeches, um, have uh, just the right physiology where they can latch on to, say, a reattached finger uh, and uh, secrete an anticoagulant and suck on the blood to promote circulation within that uh, uh, general area. And so that is um, 
a really good effective use for an alternative practice, whereas there are some folks out there who, who sell leeches to cure, you know, everything. Thanks, Ken and Waterford, again for your question. And uh, that was really good information that we got there. As I move to Michael on Twitter, who says part of the problem is the medical system that has failed people. So many pharmaceuticals being used that end up having bad outcomes. Opioid crisis, profit over patient care. As we do see some profit motives that could be creeping into the, some of the things that you got in, into your book, Matt. But I want to, again, reframe this to understand, as we've talked about things like uh, uh, different uh, treatments here, the, some of the stuff you're talking about in your book is is getting beyond the field of credulity. One of the things that you mentioned in there is getting to the point where there was someone who said that they had a spray, or you're talking about a spray, that could turn people into zombies. Can you tell people about how that happens, how we get to a point where someone thinks that this is an actual thing that would occur if they use this spray? Yeah, the, the medical system, for all of its flaws and, and all of uh, Big Pharma's uh, attempted meddling, has a pretty robust system of peer review, uh, it has a lot of eyes on it, a lot of challenges made to every claim. Uh, and so there's a real vetting process. Uh, what I found was that in the fringes of the alternative medical community, it functions more like an improv theater troupe uh, that, that kind of operates on this principle of yes and. Uh, uh, folks in uh, improv will, will understand that that means that, you know, when person A in the skit makes an outlandish uh, situation, person B in the skit can't contradict it, but they have to build off of it and, you know, kind of endorse it as they go along. And that uh, principle of yes and is very much alive in these um, uh, communal gatherings of fringe alternative healers. You know, you think that uh, you can cure cancer by zapping the body with something that's the equivalent of a car battery. Uh, yes. And I think that you can do it by, you can cure cancer by drinking a diluted uh, bleach solution. Um, and, and so uh, that dynamic and that culture allowed for more and more outlandish claims to be made. And the more outrageous the claim, the more attention it drew on social media and, and you know, the more likely you were to get booked on the, uh, you know, the, the uh, media outlet that, that specializes in uh, the, these sorts of fields or, or you know, even conspiracy theories. And as a result of that, um, various inconsistent theories of zombies began to float around the medical uh, the, the the fringe medical uh, alternative health community. Um, you know, one guy, as you said, believed that uh, zombies uh, could be created using a, a bioweapon. Uh, you spray them with the virus and then you trigger a stress reaction and uh, then they turn into zombies. Uh, another person thought that, you know, if you inject people with the, the COVID vaccine, that you're actually injecting nanotechnology that allows the government to flip a switch and turn you into zombies. Uh, that the uh, there are people uh, who are at the intersection of, you know, faith healing and, and um, uh, spirituality. Uh, and they believe that zombies happen when an individual is morally compromised uh, and a demonic force enters their body uh, and gives them that that 
craving for human flesh. Um, and, and so all these things are, are very, very uh, ridiculous. But when left unchecked and unchallenged, um, what you have is even if the person making those claims and telling those stories doesn't believe it, is at some point some people in their audience begins to believe it. Uh, and in fact, there, there are uh, cases where um, people have uh, committed murder um, sometimes against their own family members who they believed were zombies. Um, and it's so ludicrous and, and beyond the pale, it's a good illustration of, um, you know, is, is, um, are, are there flaws in the medical establishment? Uh, maybe, uh, but there's a difference between being flawed and having no, uh, no cohesive, uh, method in place to, to check assertions and, and to, to test and, um, uh, prove your case. Yeah. Uh, and that's so to deeper distrust in government, you know, in, in, uh, 1998, uh, trust in vaccines, pe more people liked vaccines and approved of vaccines than approved of, uh, Dolly Parton. Uh, for crying out loud, right? Impossible. Uh, impossible. It, 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 impossible, right. Uh, and yet it was, and yet it was simpler times. Um, <laughs> and now, you know, you have tens of millions of people who are uh, resisting that uh, advice from their medical professionals. Um, uh, and, and underneath it all, uh, there, there's a, uh, a, a profit motive and an effort to sell things like uh, healing lasers. Yeah. You know, it, one of the things, the overarching trend I think I saw when I was reading the book, Matt, uh, a couple of things uh, really struck out to me. One is it's great if you're the person that discovers the one true cure, right? Like uh, the amount of prestige that you get from folks, people pushing back from you. It'd be really cool to have that. I'd love to be the guy that found that. But the thing about what we have with science, hopefully, is the rigor, the testing of something to see if it actually works. And what I see in a lot of these cases is someone create something and then they're ch chasing that solution. They're saying, you prove to me that it's wrong. It's not incumbent on me to show that it works. It's incumbent on you to show that I'm wrong. And by the way, if I harm a couple of people, it's all right in the pursuit of the, the grand deal. What did you find? Was there an overarching trend that you found in reviewing the book or in right creating? Yeah. The book? Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that's absolutely it. As you know, we're, we're all silly people, Nick, right? We, we all want that affirmation. We all want our, our ego stroked and to feel prestigious and important. And um, the belief that uh, you, you've come up on one true cure is one of those, um, uh, <laughs> what, what one way in which uh, our silliness can express itself. And as you say, that the scientific process is meant to kind of uh, beat the silliness out of us and, and get us uh, to a, a more rational place. Uh, that doesn't always work because our silliness is very persistent and very deeply ingrained, uh, and, and yet it, it's the best tool that we have. Um, and I was really struck um, in researching the book in finding out that even though these people came from wildly different backgrounds um, and, and had wildly different theories of disease, they all went through um, a very similar channel. Uh, their, their life stories all followed the same kind of basic path of going out, promoting their cures, um, getting uh, a following, and then running, uh, getting scooped up by the medical freedom movement, 
becoming more radicalized and uh, uh, aggressive uh, politically and bolder with, with their appeals to people, and then getting into trouble with the, the government and winding up uh, in jail or in some other dire circumstance uh, with, with a, a tragic fallout. Um, and so uh, that, that was just one thing that really struck me was uh, we're, we're kind of, society is not channeling uh, these intentions in a very good way. And uh, I think if we're going to solve it, we have to come up with a way uh, to address the folks who think they've come up with a miracle cure uh, that uh, allows them to maintain their their kind of uh dignity yeah yeah i great words to end on there matthew hangold tetlane author of the new book if it sounds like a quack a journey to the fringe of american medicine thanks for joining us on detroit today nick it was so fun thanks so much that's going to do it for us here on detroit today you're listening to 1019 wdetfm detroit's npr station your connection to news music and conversation join us on monday when we take a look at whether we're now in a third reconstruction period we'll see you again on monday